Welcome to Across the Pond, Marketing Transformed, a podcast that explores ways to transform your business and marketing strategy. Whether you're a rising star, entrepreneur, or experienced professional, a show packed with stories to inspire success and build a growth mindset for you and your company. Featuring global brand CMOs, transformation experts, and business founders, your co-hosts, Chris Lawson in London, UK, and Samuel Moni across the pond in Philadelphia, USA. Welcome to episode 33 of Across the Pond, Marketing Transformed. My name's Chris Lawson in London, UK, and I'm joined from the USA by Samuel Moni. Say hello, Sam. Hey, Chris. How are you, sir? Yeah, good. Good. Lovely sunny evening over here. Um, and, Excellent. Uh, you know, sort of uh, been a hectic week. Obviously, still lots going on in the news agenda. Still not quite sure what mm-hmm. it's going to say the next day, but um, looking forward to this show anyway. Yeah, absolutely. So let's let's crack on with it. Good stuff. Excellent. Well, look, a few of the big stories over the last couple of months, whether it's Zoom's stellar growth of 300 million daily participants, and that's up from about 50% from earlier in the month, not even earlier in the year, earlier in the month. Um, or the fact that Slack has added over sort of 30,000 customers, according to their CEO, um, They've got one thing in common. Well, but to be fair, they've probably got a lot of things in common, and, and it's not just COVID-19. But what I'm talking about, Sam, is the fact that these mm-hmm. are all SaaS companies, software as a service. Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously, we've seen a rise of SaaS companies uh, over the last few years, partly because it offers flexible payment options, it's accessible, it's scalable, um, there's seemed to be quite strong security around it. It allows consistent updates, increasing collaboration, all key attributes of successful and growing businesses. And now SaaS accounts for over 25% of all software, um, which mm. I think is pretty amazing, Sam. And uh, right. yeah, if you're, if you're looking to create a SaaS business and then sell it on uh, from an uh, investment perspective, then then immediately that that starts to charge a much higher multiple than some other traditional types of businesses. So so it's definitely the, the flavor of the, the month or or even in the year. I mean mm-hmm. there's there's eleven thousand two hundred and eighty eight SaaS companies bound to get that wrong. That's according to Crunchbase <laughs> as well. Um right. over seven thousand of them in the marketing field. Uh, growing by 18% and expected to r- rise up to about £160 billion pounds by 2022. Wow. So so pretty damn big, Sam. Um, and the final stat before I, I, I stop, but I think is important, 73% of businesses are planning on making all of their systems SaaS by 2021, mm. I believe that is. Uh, and if, and if that's the case, if over seventy percent of businesses are planning that their systems will be operating on a SaaS basis, I, I was wondering what that means as a marketeer. Um, and if we want to remain relevant, then we need to understand it, right? Yeah, that's true, Chris. I, I know for us, putting together this podcast has been a lesson in tapping into the different providers and getting our hands dirty in experiencing their products, their services. There's a plethora of services out there, such as Zencaster and Squadcast and Anchor and a bunch of others. And as we experiment and learn, there's probably a show we could do on that in the future. So I'll probably get back to the topic at hand that you asked. I think uh, you're right, a little, 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We'll get back to that in the future. But it seems a little patronizing to explain what software as a service is to our audience. But let's just take a moment to ground ourselves and, and the audience on why we're so excited about this topic. You've shared some stats, but let's get into it a bit more. We can work, we can live, communicate, collaborate, and store information effortlessly because SaaS companies, they house the servers, the databases, and the software and provide internet access so we can access it via any web connected device. So from a consumer or customer perspective, this often shows up in our lives when we pay a subscription fee to use an application. And there's usually tiers and levels based on perhaps the amount of data needed or the number of users or the support level or features and benefits. So we're used to that experience, be it Google storage products for our pictures and our files, or enterprise business-based access to Microsoft Office or Adobe suite of products. And there's brands and companies like Apple and Dropbox and IBM and Salesforce and Shutterstock and Autodesk and Getty Images and on and on. I could go on there. So as I was doing some more research, read an article from Digital Guardian, and they break down a few of the benefits uh, that third parties will be responsible for for the basic business functions. So thinking about software as a service, you're going to a third party, what are they actually going to deliver for you? And some of the benefits are cost savings, because as a as a business or as a customer, you wouldn't need to invest in expensive hardware to actually host the stuff. And then the ability to make it an easy update so that the SaaS company would actually maintain the software and update it when needed. They provide the IT expertise and be able to troubleshoot, hopefully, uh, and provide system reliability and security. And obviously, then the other aspect that you get from some buying into this is the scalability to increase capacity quickly, which you would do by by outsourcing that and buying it as a service. Of course, there are risks, and we always think about the things that could go wrong on the dark side. And I think one of the key ones is that you're at the mercy of that company's security. And we've seen concerns about overseas data warehouses subject to possible foreign government access and interference. So that's a key concern that companies have. Mm. The downtime risk, the risk um, of, of just things not working. And we all quickly see when Google or Amazon's down because half the internet stops working and be it your access to Netflix or your ability to actually send work emails, everyone feels the pain. And then pricing is another risk, especially when you're embedded into a product and it's so well embedded into your business, changing becomes so painful and you're kind of wedded to whatever pricing or pricing changes and that the, you know, the customer will, will put, will impose. So that could be a bit of a, a risk as well to consider. Yeah, that, that, that last one, we'll come back to a little bit later on in the podcast. The thing is, it's a really crucial point because uh, clearly from a consumer perspective, you want it to be a positive experience, not like a um, straight jacket, um, but mm. also it, it takes a certain type of marketing skill there as well. And, and the, these are household names, Sam. Uh, and uh, if they're not indeed sort of household names, it's definitely... Uh, familiar to marketeers and mm -hmm. you know whether we're talking about hubspot or google or adobe or mailchimp or shopify or survey monkey they're, they're all the same um and, and interestingly i think in a future episode where we'll look at the the top 10 martech that you need in your life and and uh some of the, the best players and some of the up-and-coming players as well but but I think one fascinating thing is um, the importance of mobile here as well. Uh, that's expected to 
um, reached sort of 7.4 billion by 2021. Uh, mm-hmm. A number of sort of rising stars in in disparate markets um, are likely to be there soon as well. Um, yeah, and a really interesting thing: there's a chatbot creation platform called ManyChat, uh, which is focused on sort of providing a Facebook integration, mm-hmm. Free Will, which is a charitable will and estate planning um, process, and but increasingly, companies across sectors are operating critical parts of a business from tablets or smartphones or employees um, even feel empowered to be able to do their jobs better by being able to work with dynamic mobile dashboards. All of these are SaaS operations. Um, So that idea of having a mobile first mentality, optimizing Mm -hmm. the offering to suit a host of devices, I think uh, is going to be another important part. So, So again, from a marketer's perspective, that mobile first mentality, I think, is going to be key. Yeah. As, as I think about that a bit deeper, uh, when we were doing the research, DocuSign's an interesting case when you think about their product because they're based not as an e-signature document signing product. Instead, they see themselves as an agreement cloud. They have over, I think, 600,000 customers, um, 60,000 clients across the world. Um, the The CEO, Scott Ulrich, he already has a great marketing background and he seems to find the business that had originally been unorchestrated. And he felt when he, when he joined the organization that marketers should be driving the orchestration, which is an interesting perspective that actually he sees marketers should be doing that and to help drive the overall narrative and vision and focus for the business. So in these companies, it's actually interesting that marketing is seen as a, as a driver versus perhaps the product or the IT side. And it's a topic we've talked about before because he had a huge focus on customer experience and how marketing and sales and operations need to come together with a true focus on the customer experience and the customer journey to make that better. And he makes a bold statement. He says, my job as a marketer is to predict the future and be able to articulate it in a way that people could get behind the vision, the customers and the C-suite. So this future looking role is an interesting one, again, consistent with our philosophy. He's a market at heart. So he talks about brand equity and long-term brand building as a key remit of doing this well. And that's music to my ears because he's clearly vested in the foundations of modern marketing. The principles of having great insight, great foundational beliefs about the consumer and customer, but also that future-facing perspective is about setting the market and driving the future needs. Yeah, definitely. And what, and what he sees is that the current processes of writing and getting signatures and getting agreements and then taking action are all interdependent. And so DocuSign is very vested in driving and optimizing for the speed of today's business and to continue to accelerate that across different platforms. And you mentioned earlier, clearly here, the mobile and desktop interface has to be very strong. And if you think about it, document, DocuSign's biggest competitor is paper and pen. <laughs> It's it's as simple as that. And when you think about if that's your your competitor, you've got a huge market upside. And the CEO calls the company a trust brand. And I I completely concur with that. Now, my personal experience of using it in the past few months has been buying a home. And it was a, it, I was just amazed at how easy I was able to switch between a PC-based interface and a mobile-based application. I could jump between them 
and it was accurate. And it just meant I could be very responsive, especially when it comes to buying a home and wanting to follow up obligations, which often had a legal consequence if you weren't fast, and then get the response back. Using an e-signature made me feel that I was in complete control. Usually in a scenario where you're, you're responsive and you're feeling as if there's an urgent deadline and if that you're only just about to get there and it's just so stressful and things can go wrong and you're always fearful if you don't get the signature in on time and things doesn't get signed, things don't get approved. So the context of using DocuSign in, in home buying was for me a stress-reducing, a stress-relieving interface. And in a short space of time, We've been able to shift to a fully electronic and more rapid interdependent system. And it's making me think that the promise of blockchain is such a prime moment right now to come back, to be reintroduced. I think blockchain came across a bit of a buzzword and a bit of complex people didn't really understand. But right now, it's really an opportunity for that to, to be seen as a human-driven solve and not tech for the sake of, of just using the tech. Yeah, well... I definitely think that will that will come back at some point soon. Um, and it's a, it's a great example. Clearly, from a business perspective, it's smart as it's accessible, it's scalable, and and it's built right, and therefore it, it should be efficient. But interestingly, from a marketing perspective, SaaS companies are pretty unique as well because they combine all the elements of a strong tech business. Um, you would expect to have a strong performance marketing team. Um, product management should be at the heart, a focus on customer experience and deep mm -hmm. roots in analytics. But there's also a lot of stuff from successful consumer brand marketing. Um, mm -hmm. We've talked before about adding personality to the brand. Uh, I happen to think Slack do that um, very well. Um, and mm -hmm. of course, the, the, the best of subscription marketing as well. Um, you mentioned earlier on about sort of pricing uh and it's why i find them so interesting is my background as you know because it involves quite complicated pricing strategies and working out how to mm -hmm. make them simple um it's really a recurring revenue business that that's the idea and it requires a strong infrastructure to deliver the customer experience so 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 interesting organizations to work with i think sam so, so what other skills then that you think are required to be successful in this environment? Well, I'm going to take it from a more sort of corporate perspective, and I'm going to build on your infrastructure point, as I think there's a there's definitely a strong um, point and a strength of marketers who are being brought into a lot of organizations. I was doing some research on Amazon the other day, and the Amazon Pay marketing lead is a, a lady called Kelly Wenzel. And she's got an extensive background in entrepreneurial, digital, and software companies. She did some amazing work at Contently. And she's now driving the Amazon Pay product. And again, that's a product designed to make it seamless for customers to buy using voice uh, and let you use payments and with the details and addresses stored in your account, so you don't you don't need to enter them at the checkout. And it seems to be just fundamental marketing skills, knowledge of people, knowledge of customers, knowledge of the customer journey is is critical and to enable to to upskill and uplift the organisation she's joined. And a lot of the work then of Amazon Pay is to remove the friction in the purchase funnel, which is an area many brands are working on. But of course, Amazon, they can provide the benefit to their vendors and partners in a, in a very scalable way. And so the benefits of Amazon Pay is things like supporting the transactions through multiple channels, improves the purchase conversion rate. There's this data point of 70% of products that actually get added to a cart, don't actually make it through to the checkout. So Amazon Pay can help reduce that friction. It can help 
It can also help with integrating with your, the customer's uh, or the brand's digital store. There's a fraud det detection element and a reduction of bad debt, the 24-7 support. So there's just so many things that Amazon can provide there. But you get the point. I'm really advocating for the, the power of business to business and that whole area of marketing. And as an individual marketer, thinking about that from your skill set and how you could build on that. I've worked for a company called Granger, which is in the maintenance, repair and operations industry. Yeah, it's huge in terms of revenues, approximately $11 billion worth of sales. Yeah, of which around big. four or f yeah, pretty big, and four or five billion of that actually comes through e-commerce. And for me, what was transformative about my time working there was the the level of sophistication in understanding customers off and online, which the SaaS really was was pivotal to doing. It's the ability to leverage the power of the data and insights embedded in their customers' businesses. So. I managed the exclusive brands business, which was a bunch of proprietary brands or um, what you call, you know, own brands or own label, private label, but they, we kind of refer to them as exclusive brands. And we could tap into the CRM, the customer relationship management skills and platforms to stay close to the customers, We're tracking the sales through the pipeline, but also play a role in inventory management that made us the go-to solution for customers. So you could see how it really does help provide value and benefit to customers. And my point was that this was a marketing experience where the customer experience was a primary focus and a large chunk of the work I did. So in fact, B2B marketing gave me a lot more of the MarTech and the learnings in a more in-depth way and a more return on investment driven way than I've actually been able to find in the more business to consumer organizations I've worked in. Yeah, that, that's an interesting point, I think. Uh, and, and it's interesting also, we, we talked before about um, you know, how B2B and B2C was uh, converging around sort of B2I. And, and actually, I think SaaS businesses do sort of tend to work as a sort of a center of that Venn diagram. Uh, and, and I thought it was really interesting in the news this week, um, the CEO of Slack, Stuart Butterfield, mm -hmm. And and he he's picking up more media than Apple now, you know, quite frankly, and uh, giving great advice in a very sort of humble way on how to run a business in a crisis. I mean, obviously, uh, Slack saw its stellar growth um, in terms of uh, its users, as I sort of talked about at the top of the show. Um, and it, you know, he talks about the need to be upfront, to be flexible, to be appreciative, to be human. Mm -hmm. um, all values, I think, that we can absolutely identify with there, and and I think they've they've done a good job because obviously there's almost an expectation that the the zooms and the slacks of the world are going to pick up the slacks. Um, excuse the pun. Um, done indeed, yeah. But uh, I think the point there is, you know, everyone assumes they are scalable, and and quite frankly, these organisations have probably haven't even dreamed that they would have to scale as fast and as quickly as they had. So are, are these the new kids on the block? Are these the ones where we're going to sort of see the, the stellar growth? And I mean, it was a really interesting and in, a great article in, in Drift about the top 25 women in SaaS businesses and uh, certainly seems like a, a whole load of talent mm -hmm. there. And some common themes um, were rising when it was sort of looking at sort of the profiles of sort of some of the um, the women, uh, you know, there's a lady called, uh, I'm 
um, Janine uh, Pelosi. I'm not sure. I was, um, forgive me if I haven't pronounced that right. Um, but the head of marketing and online business for Zoom. Yeah, very much about bringing in the human element and emotion into a work, and and uh, and uh, yeah, obviously overseeing a stellar growth in user mm-hmm. figures. But if ever there was a time about bringing in that human element and emotion into work, then that's absolutely right. Uh, some other themes that seem pretty clear coming through was can do attitude um mm-hmm. also empowering other women which i think is is absolutely right is uh is trying to redress that balance and and being incredibly passionate about what you can do as well so so some uh interesting sort of skills um skill sets in the, this sector as well i think sam yeah from that list that you mentioned 25 um, women in in the industry. I'm a huge fan of Anne Handley. She's the Chief Content Officer at Marketing Profs, and that's a professional services ed, professional education company, and they do a lot of training content. It's a fab organization in the marketing education space. They have a raft of training and, and content, which is really a strong background of hers, with a strong offering actually to B2B marketers. And Anne's a long-standing writer and speaker, so definitely check her out, go follow her stuff. And, and she makes this space so relatable and digestible, which is why I'm such a huge fan. And there's a quote she, she uses of recent, I think she's writing a book on it, and, and she uses the expression, speed up to slow down. And it's one of the, the mantras that she's, she's working through in terms of how to challenge ourselves to act in the best interest of the next 10 years. So not mm. the next 10 months or the 10 days or then 10 minutes. Uh, and it's thinking that will probably help inspire our show in a very new future. So stay tuned at the end of this episode, because I think we're going to take some of that into our, our next show. Yeah, I like that already. It's already sparking off some ideas there. Um, and, and, and one other, I had the pleasure of, sort of meeting um, over the last sort of couple of weeks, a lady called Jenny Milroy. Um, another really interesting example, she's in the list as well. Um, she's worked at Tableau and Envision, and she's now set up under her own steam, um, her um, own company focused on hyper growth uh, organizations. Uh, her company is called Authentic Mix, um, and which which I really like as a title as well, actually. And and again, the the qualities there that come through. It's that growth mindset comes up again. Being focused, calm under pressure, not phased mm-hmm. with scaling up, and being able to adapt in a in a world where you're looking at this this hyper growth. Now now clearly. In the the um, situation we're in at the moment, we we understand that there's a lot of businesses that are plateauing, looking at survival, or working at how to manage a um, downturn. But but there are mm-hmm. also a large number of SaaS businesses where their growth tra- trajectory is is probably increasing at the moment. Yeah, not to be too tactical, as we're talking about the the, the women on that list of the top twenty five. I also think that it, it inspires me in terms of the social presence and and personal branding that a lot of those um, women have and people we can learn from and how they do it. We've talked about personal branding in episode 28, and I think it's the perfect time to go back to that, to refresh our memory in terms of putting that into practice. And again, from those those leaders on that list, we see they're participating in the social platforms, their power for storytelling. And as I say, role modeling 
the leadership and, and the way to do it in, in different ways, be it Brené Brown or Anne Handley or Carla Harris, we talked to in the past. So it's great to, to really tap into that list. We'll, we'll definitely add it to the show notes. Yeah, good, good. But I think also let's not forget that there's some very sort of technical skills that are required in terms of um, supporting um of SaaS businesses as well. As I, as I said, a lot of the models are based on recurring revenues, and that means the customer experience is absolutely crucial. And it's a classic skill in managing uh, customer billing relationships. Uh, um, it's a, is the subscription element. It's an often overlooked area, um, but it does bring that to the fore. Um, and interestingly, you see a large number of sort of classic subscription marketers that are now having very successful careers within sort of SaaS organizations. Um, so I thought it was worth spending a little bit of time on this because one often overlooked area, but crucially important, is around the cancellations um, and how you how you manage that. And and of course, the first thing that you need to do, classic. Um, sort of subscription plan is is remind the loss so if someone is planning on cancelling then you have to be very very bold about what what it is that they're going to lose if they are armed just to give them a um, opportunity to think twice around it then the second thing that's important is around some thinking of the alternatives um, or at least recommending what the alternatives and that those alternatives might be a different mm -hmm. configuration. It might be a downgrade of a package. It might be a change of payment terms so that at least you're there um, understanding what that is. And, and that, that third point, understanding, I think is crucial as well. So many, so many organizations still on their cancellation process don't lead you back into uh, what a uh, reason why you're cancelling uh, so that you can improve a product. And, and you've got to build that feedback loop in. And it's, um, it's staggering how many people don't actually have that in there. Um, I think the, the other point is that if you're able to, to um, have that information, then you're much more easy to recommend the alternatives, the why, um, and the possibility of trying to sort of um, maintain some sort of relationship, whether that's a payment holiday or whether, like I say, that's a, a downgrade, but, but incredibly important. And then the final thing is about winning the why as well. It's, it's understanding that if someone has a need to cancel, that is absolutely their right um, and you should never hide the cancel button. Um, However, at the same time, you you have a a um, a sort of role to play in terms of bringing that back into the organisation and making sure that the the um, SaaS business is focused on retention of this organisation and that's its primary business. And and I think it's worth calling that out because still so many organisations do this very very badly, and yet this is the lifeblood of subscription based organisations or recurring revenues. Which which a lot of SaaS organisations are. Yeah, some some great points there, Chris. And I, as I'm listening to you, I'm just thinking, okay, so what's next? What's going to help us move this forward? And this, I think, I've got a couple of ahas. Not exactly rocket science here, but uh, you've mentioned this as well. But certainly, mobile first in design and the user experience is becoming more and more a necessity. But by the year 2020, 
The projections are that 73% of the world's population will browse the internet using mobile devices. Moreover, employees, I think now, especially in the current climate, are more empowered to perform their jobs by using uh, mobile devices and mobile dashboards and various tools. And so the ability to offer robust and reliable sort of business tools and that work across desktop and mobile is going to be the uh, a big evolution in the space. Uh, and I know for myself, I have the habit of toggling and logging between a PC and a mobile. It's just the way I roll now. So I often have both mm. open at the same time and using them because it's often the mobile interfaces tend to be simpler, easier and faster, especially if you're using video and audio. It's so much easier and faster on a mobile device. The, the other prediction out there is about the power of branding, the tone of voice, the messaging, clear positioning of, and values of these organizations. So we're not going to go into depth in-depth branding piece here, but the MarTech 5000 has actually come out with the the latest version, which is now up to 8,000. And we've talked a bit about Zoom and the slacks of this world, but you've got the phrase such as Zoom bombing. It's now a thing. And that brand is front of mind for kids and adults in a, in a matter of weeks. So that brand has just become so well established. Although it's just curious to, in my mind, in Zoom's case, that it doesn't go without saying that the they've picked a blue logo, which seems in keeping with the Silicon Valley tradition of the mm. Facebooks and the Twitters and LinkedIn's of this world. So I'm just curious as that business matures, how they're going to be, um, are we going to be Zooming as much as we are Googling and how that brand evolves over time? Yeah, very much so. And and of course, then you've got what impact AI will have on SaaS as well. I mean, clearly there's a bit there about automation, machine learning, and how that will be used in terms of like customer services and applications and, and chats, um, helping to onboard stuff. Personalization as well um, is going to obviously sort of improve the, the response. Um, and, and we talked about that before, didn't we, about how actually AI can bring in a human layer when done properly. So you can sort of, it would be fascinating to see how the slacks of this world adapt that as well. Um, mm -hmm. And of course, security. Um, again, there, there's something there about machine learning and recognition, but the Zoom bomb is a, a great example. I thought, I thought, yeah, clearly that, that was something that needed to be fixed, but Considering the the hole that Zoom has actually suddenly managed to fill, I thought that was a bit unfair press, um, and I thought they got on it pretty quickly. However, we do need to look at the sort of security of the sort of these um, SaaS company. So it's a lot of interesting stuff, I think, to bring us uh, back home there, Sam, and and you know, and some of the themes we've covered before: the convergence of customer experience, the the roles of the CIO and the CMO. Um, and the fact that actually in a post-COVID world, SaaS businesses are going to be the new focus. So definitely one to look out for. But but look, Sam, time's getting on, as always. It goes quickly, doesn't it? Um, so why don't you give us uh, three key takeouts? Thanks, Chris. I will definitely get to the three things that we've taken from this show in a, in a snappy way today. When you think of software as a service, think beyond marketing. It's what kids are using for their education via remote learning or families are using to have virtual dinners across the country through video. Secondly, we're excited by the presence of female leaders in this space. They're really helping to set the agenda and expand our knowledge in this space. And thirdly, quite a simple one, really. Mobile's going to be the future. A lot of data showing that the utility of mobile is going to help SaaS grow and expand internationally and globally. Yeah. 
Absolutely. That that last one, I mean, look, you know, it, it becomes something which can sound like a little bit like wallpaper in a business when you go, oh, it's going to be mobile first. But we still don't think like that. So we have to change that mentality. Uh, so episode 34, Sam, uh, it's going to be about future world of leadership. I think it's going to be a, it's a good um, continuation of what we've been talking about today, thinking about future marketing environments and the styles that will be needed to, to get the best out of the people and the best out of the activities that we're doing um, and how we can help workers focus on our passion and empower people to to do the work and Great. deliver good stuff. So, so it's going to be a, a really good episode and a slight change of pace, I think, Sam. Absolutely. Really excited by that show topic there, Chris. And as always, we can get, get to our research to get the, the next episode ready. So until next week, Chris, have a great week across the pond. Well, that's it for this week's show. We hope you enjoyed it. Find more by visiting marketingtransform.com and click on the subscribe link. If you listen via Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud or anything else, then click on follow, subscribe or type marketing transformed into search. We're a new show, so please leave us a review, comment or ask a question. We'd love to hear from you. Get in touch at marketingtransformedshow at gmail.com.